Good morning. My name is Sally, and I'm just going to read the second Bible reading. It's from the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, and it's verses 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Well, by those two readings, you can tell we're talking about the resurrection. I uh, once saw one of those verses completely quoted out of context on a baby card to, to us. Uh, it had 1 Corinthians 15, 51. I don't know if you remember, it was in the first reading. It says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Oh, that was fantastic. <laughs> if I haven't met you, my name is Pete Stacey. And yes, I've got a little baby at the moment, which is lovely. And it happens to be my wedding anniversary too. How lo- oh, thank you. That was good. I- I'm going to say that in all the services now. <laughs> well, today we come to the end of our Easter series. It's been fantastic. And we're considering the question, what difference does Jesus make after we die? Uh, it's relevant for all of us because of that annoying statistic, one in one people die. Gets us every time. Uh, the passage that we've just heard read to us answers many of the big questions around this topic. So unlike the last few weeks, I'm actually going to stick in this passage. It's really, really helpful. I'm going to refer to a couple of other passages. They'll be on the screen. Um, but 1 and 2 Thessalonians are very early letters. In the New Testament, perhaps, perhaps the earliest of the, all the New Testament letters. And um, the believers in Thessalonica rightly understood that Jesus could return at any time. But it had now been 20 years since uh, his death and resurrection and then his glorious ascension to heaven. And some believers had died. And those still alive were in anguish. Would their departed loved ones miss out? On the return of Jesus, what's going to happen? Would they ever see each other again? Were they just lost forever somehow? These are really important questions, hugely emotional questions. What happens to believers who die before Jesus returns? What's going to happen if we're still alive and Jesus returns? What's going to happen? Paul gives us the answer in this passage. And as we look at it together, I want to acknowledge that among us here today... There will be some, perhaps many, who are grieving the loss of a loved one. Or perhaps deeply concerned for a loved one with very serious health issues. Did you pick up why Paul wrote this passage? Hope. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. He wants us to have hope. Paul wrote this so that together with the Thessalonians, we could have an unshakable hope. 
along with real comfort and encouragement as we face the enemy of death. So let's pray and ask that God will help us understand all the treasure he has for us in his word today. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for the hope that you give us in your word, your sure promises to us. Hope for this life and hope for the life to come. Help us grasp it with our heads and our hearts today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul begins in this passage by highlighting two dangers to avoid. And the first is ignorance. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. Someone once said that ignorance is bliss. That couldn't be further from the truth when you're in the grip of grief. One reason I like Google Maps is because it, it makes, uh, takes care of my ignorance of Sydney streets. It gives me clear direction and confidence as I keep moving forward. How much more wonderful the help that God gives us in his word to help us navigate life and eternity. The Thessalonians didn't know what would happen. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives them clarity. The second danger is despair. Again, in verse 13, we don't want you to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. What a picture of uh, of despair. The, The two are connected. Without knowledge, they had no basis for hope. Paul is not saying that it's wrong for a Christian to grieve. He's saying it's wrong for the Christian to grieve without hope. Profound difference. When Stephen died, it says godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. When Jesus arrived at the tomb of Lazarus, he was deeply moved and wept. Grief is normal and right. In fact, not grieving, no evidence of grief, uh, the loss of a loved one, you know, being kind of stoic and strong for the sake of others, that's actually really unhealthy. This causes all kinds of problems and slows down the healing process of bereavement. What Paul is against here is grieving like those who have no hope. If you've been to the funeral service of a person who loved and trusted Jesus, the whole tone is radically different. The sense of loss is great, but, but the golden threads of hope and joy shine brightly in the ragged tapestry of our grief. What about when a loved one dies who who doesn't appear to have faith in Jesus. What what, what do we do then? Is despair appropriate then? Well, it's not in this passage, but I did feel this was important to address uh, in our topic today. Uh, When I take funerals uh, of people in this situation, I affirm the promises of the gospel, but don't directly apply it to the person who has died. I don't have God's perspective on that person. I don't know what they'd heard in life. I don't know. Did they turn to him like the thief on the cross we looked at a couple of weeks ago in final moments of life? I don't know. I just don't have the perspective. Were they hard-hearted right to the very end? 
rejecting God. I, I simply don't know. So the best I can do is affirm the gospel and let God be God. The Bible is clear about the fate of the unbeliever and that there is no second chance after death. There's no kind of waiting room. There's no purgatory. There's nothing about that in the Bible. But the Bible is also clear that all who trust in Jesus Christ in this life, even in their final moments like the thief on the cross, are saved for a glorious eternity with him. At a funeral, any speculation about the person who has died is simply unhelpful. We remember them. We thank God for them. But I share the promises of God for the benefit of the living that they may hear the gospel and turn to Christ while they have time. The loss of a loved one, it's often a time of of great self-reflection. A stark reminder that it'll be me one day. And funerals are a stark reminder of just how fragile life is and how certain death is. And doubts about what happens after death often arise in our hearts. I kind of say that if you're not certain, and and I'm saying certain, the Bible says we can know for certain. If you're not certain about what God will say to you when you face him after death. If you're not certain where you'll spend eternity, please, please talk to someone after the service because you don't have to leave here today with uncertainty in your heart. You can know for for sure. And that's what the the, the, uh, Apostle Paul is saying here. In the next bit, he gives us two solid reasons for confident hope. Verse 14 says, We believe that Jesus died... And rose again. And so we believe that that, uh, God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. The gospel is the source of all Christian hope. Jesus paid the penalty for sin in his death on the cross. He broke the power of death by rising to new life. And he has the power, we looked at this last week, he has the power to give eternal life to all who put their trust in him. Sometimes at funerals, people say things like, oh, he's in a better place, or she's an angel now, or he's looking down on us, or or they see something like a dolphin or a butterfly or some beautiful thing in nature and say, oh, that's so-and-so, and hoping to bring some kind of comfort to themselves or, or to someone who's grieving. Friends, the Christian hope is miles from that kind of speculation. It's based on, look at how verse 15 begins. It's according to the Lord's word. The creator of the whole universe speaks and gives us hope. It's not based on mere human speculation. It's not based on wishful sentiments from a Google search or pop psychology or philosophy. From the opening verses of the Bible, one thing is clear. If God says it, it happens. God said, let there be light and boom! A music stand nearly fell over. God says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Friends, there's confident hope. If we've put our trust in Jesus, we have eternal life. We've crossed over from death to life for eternity. Dear friends, we have two solid reasons for hope. Jesus died and rose again. And God's word is true. He has promised eternal life to all who trust in Jesus. So that's the bedrock. That's the foundation of our hope. What are the actual facts? What's going to happen? And this is, this is where it gets really interesting. What's actually going to happen when Jesus returns? Well, verse 14 again. We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. In other words, they're with him now. The soul of every believer who has already died is with Jesus now. Uh, the Bible doesn't support this idea of soul sleep. You might have heard of that. You know, when, when someone dies, they're kind of just like in this sleepy, dead state. And when Jesus comes back, suddenly, whoa, up they come. And it's, it's like a really deep sleep and no time passed. And, whoa, here I am, Jesus is back. Um, the Bible doesn't really support that kind of idea. That's not what's pictured here. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Verse 15 clarifies the sequence of events. We who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. We've got to wait our turn, okay? If we're still alive when Jesus comes back. We have no advantage over those who've already died. Um, because verse 16, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Huh. Hang on. Can we just say uh, they're going to come with Jesus and now they're ri- rising first? How does that kind of work? Well, the Bible makes clear that we are physical beings and spiritual beings. We have a body and we have a soul. When our body dies, our soul departs. Believers are with the Lord. Unbelievers are separated from him. Only our physical body remains to be buried, cremated, whatever. Take, for example, the thief on the cross. Passage we looked at just two weeks ago at Easter. He looked to Jesus and said, Remember, when you, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Sounds like Jesus' return, doesn't it? Jesus corrected him with the words of great comfort and hope. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Isn't that awesome? Along with all believers who have died, his physical body will rise to new life, rejoined with his soul at the return of Jesus. Jesus told a parable once about a rich man who ignored a poor beggar named Lazarus. They both died and Lazarus was carried to heaven and the rich man to hell. And there's a bit of dialogue. And then the rich man asks if Lazarus can go back and warn his brothers. And now now the point I'm going to make is not the main point of this parable. But I just want to point out that his brothers are still alive on earth while the rich man Lazarus are fully conscious on the other side of death. There's no time gap going on. What does that mean for us? Here's the good news. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the moment you dive, whenever and however that is, you will be personally with 
Jesus. What a glorious hope, friends. If you have lost loved ones who trusted in Jesus, they are with Jesus now. What a wonderful comfort. What a glorious hope. Before we move on, did you notice the commotion in verse 16? Look at it again. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. A lot of commotion there, isn't there? A lot of noise. Uh, No one on earth is going to miss it. I can still remember when I was a teenager, I heard a bloke preaching on this passage and he said it would be like God just unzips the sky. Like no one's going to miss out on it. Uh, He's not sending... He's not sending an apostle or a delegation of angels. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. What an amazing moment. And there's this loud command, like the voice of one of the military commanders, you know. And the whole battalion kind of instantly jumps around in obedience and moving together. It's awesome. And uh, John 5, 28 says this, A time is coming when all those who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Jesus said it to Lazarus who was dead and he was, he was resuscitated back to this life. To help us appreciate that one day Jesus will give the command and all who have died in him will rise to everlasting, imperishable life. When Jesus went to Lazarus, he, he used the term sleep about the dead body, as Paul does three times in this passage. Now, he's not referring to soul sleep, as I mentioned a moment ago. And it's not because they're just asleep. He, Lazarus was really dead. It's a compassionate way of talking to grieving relatives. And we know that because when Lazarus died, Jesus spoke gently to Mary and Martha in this way, you know, using sleep in death as a, as a gentle way of... And then, They just didn't get it. And Jesus had to say it bluntly. Lazarus is dead. Then he added, but I'm going to go and wake him up. Waking someone from death is no harder for Jesus than me just waking someone who's merely asleep. That's why Jesus spoke to Lazarus to him in a loud voice. Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, still dressed, wrapped up in all the clothing. Grave cloth. So there'll be a loud command, the voice of the archangel. There's only two verses in the whole Bible about archangels, so don't ask me the details. We don't have any. Um, I just think they're the, you know, the really big, powerful ones, something like that. And there'll be the trumpet call of God. Now, there's another military kind of image signifying the call to gather. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, we heard it read a moment ago. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Forty years ago, I began trumpet lessons. Thirty-eight years ago, I stopped trumpet lessons. But you want to, do you want to kind of get a, the general vibe? I, kind of, I couldn't help myself. Uh, just a bit of fun, a bit of fun. So here we go. So this is a, an attempt at a fanfare. It'll be much bigger and better than this. But here we go. Oh, that sounds really bad, doesn't it? loud, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, that was kind of fun. Whew. They call that blowing out the cobwebs. So believers who've already died, 
with, uh, we'll see Jesus first. They'll be raised to be with Jesus, soul and body reunited. Then look at verse 17. After that, we who are still left alive and are, uh, alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Again, wonderful hope. See those words, with them. Let that sink in, friends. If you're a believer and you know the pain of losing a loved one who is a believer, remember this. The separation is only temporary. It's only a comma, not a full stop in that relationship. One day we will be with them again. What beautiful words of of comfort and of hope and reassurance. What's more, we'll be reunited with them for a purpose. There's lots of things on God's last day program, but this next one is the main event. Like a good movie or a good piece of music that carries you along and provides more and more of the picture and, and builds in anticipation until finally the climax moment. And what is it here in this verse? Verse 17, we will... Meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. To be reunited with loved ones. Yeah, that's great. I look forward to that. I've, I've lost my first wife a few years ago. It's a wonderful hope to see loved ones again. But to meet the Lord is more wonderful by far. Look at those early disciples. We will, we will see and recognize Jesus. And be filled with inexpressible joy, as Peter puts it. That means we will also recognise each other. Well, that'd be good. No, you're from 9 o'clock, I remember you. Oh, you're 10.45, that's why I don't recognise you. <laughs> Unless I switch, because John, I encouraged us to for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's going to be awesome, isn't it? We'll still know each other. But in a new and better and perfect way. Jesus' body was new and changed, but his disciples still recognised him. They touched him. They talked with him. They ate together. We too, along with all believers, will do these things. Paul often describes the Christian life as being in Christ. You hear that lots of times in the New Testament. But the day when will come when all who are in Christ will be with Christ. And what, uh, did you notice the time stamp in that verse? Forever. Forever. There will be no end to the party, the celebration. What a glorious hope we have. Dear friends, this leaves us with one thing to do. Verse 18, encourage one another with these words. Paul explained these truths to the Thessalonians because they were in anguish because dear believers had died before Jesus returned. Explaining God's truth was the key to wiping away their despair. Not their tears. We still grieve. But we grieve with hope. When a believer has died. So how can we encourage each other with these words? These wonderful words of truth. Firstly, if someone is gripped by grief, don't barge in with pat answers and a barrage of Bible verses. You know, People need truth in love. They need compassion 
and comfort. Sit with them. Pray for them. Pray with them as you have opportunity. And in that way, gently and clearly, remind them of the promises of God's word. His truth brings real comfort and hope. Secondly, and this is a vital key for remaining steadfast as a Christian through all of the storms of life. Let God prepare you for the trials and temptations and tests of life before they happen by filling the warehouse of your heart with his truth on a daily basis. Ready to draw out when you need it most. When my first wife Jude was dying, I was a blubbering mess. I remember walking... Uh, I was up at Balambi Beach one time when she was in ICU, racked with grief, pouring out my heart to God and thinking, nothing prepares you for a moment like this. And instantly I felt God gently reminding me that he's been preparing me all my life because that whole time, hours, just was these rambling prayers, I was blubbering and all that to God of, of Bible verses and Bible stories that I, I, I've soaked in over many years of of being in a Christian family and in good churches that taught the Bible and looking at the Bible in my own time. And he gave me great peace and comfort and hope through his word, even in the darkest hours of my grief. So, dear friends, let us regularly and confidently encourage one another with the deep, comforting hope God gives us in these words about our glorious future with our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.